So welcome everyone to another episode of Podium Stories. Today we have a very special guest in the building, somebody that I wanted to interview for a couple of weeks now. And we had a really great conversation off camera last week. Uh, I think you guys are going to love this conversation today. His, his name is Jeremiah. He's the CEO of Sunday, born out of the cultural powerhouse 72 and Sunny. Sunday is reinventing the agency model to deliver the real-time content and media optimization of a performance marketer paired with the strategy and service of a creative agency. And I want to touch on that later. But he's also a renowned marketing industry expert. He's been published and quoted in a long list of national publications, which we're not going to quote all of them, but a few of them, uh, New York Times, Financial Times, each day, at week. Uh, Jeremiah, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Marty. Absolutely. So one of the first things that I wanted to start was that transition between 72 and Sunny. Before we get into the content marketing and the influencer side, uh, so you guys were part of 72 and Sunny, which if you're a listener, it's a big agency um with a big brand and it, it was very interesting to me that you guys were part of that and then decided to um become independent uh, but first i want to ask you what were the things the ideas the takeaways the lessons that you kind of stole from them and, and implemented with, with sunday as well so it's a great question I've, I've been really fortunate throughout my career in the organizations i've worked for um and i've also been a little unfortunate for some of the other organizations that for, but um, I've worked for a few few um, um, creative organizations. One's Widen Kennedy, another one is uh, it's called Campfire, and I also worked with Seventy Two and Sunny. And, and the one great thing about creative organizations, and particularly Seventy Two and Sunny, is that they're so conscious and intentional about all of their about how they work with people, about how they hire people, about how they go about getting people to work together. That's environment, that's um, 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 collaboration platforms. Um, and that's also in the kinds of clients that that they they seek out, right? I've seen so many times where an agency will end up in a bad marriage, but financially, it's just very hard to get out of it for right. for the agency owners, and and that happens a lot. But the way that a a creative organization can navigate that, you, know, you don't see a lot of times it will bring down, and there and 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 our industry is littered with agencies that have been brought down by bad client relationships, a massive, uh, a bad client comes in and just ruins, poisons the well. Um, 72 Sunny has been really fortunate in that there's, like I said, they're intentional, they're problem solving. And that's really the thing that I've taken from that organization is to look for solutions, to be optimistic about being able to solve them, and also to be honest about when we don't think we can. Right. Uh, and I don't know, to what extent you, you can talk about this, but at what point do you transition towards like being independent and what are the benefits that you have seen without having them as, as their umbrella over there? That's a, that's a, it's a, a little bit of a mixed question, right? So um, we were incubated inside of 72 and sunny, both in Los mm -hmm. Angeles and in Brooklyn, um, trying to find a way to activate creator culture on the internet. Right. Right. Um, I have a, a pretty extensive background in both working and managing creativity um, and creating campaigns that use a lot of what were called, what we would call now influencers, but they were just digital creators. Um, and so 72 and Sunny was a great place to incubate that idea. However, once we figured out that we weren't a great match or a great, um, um, we weren't additive to 72 and Sunny's client base, Right. Um, it became very clear to us that we needed to go out on our own and, and have our own brand, our own profile, and be able to be brought in for special occasions. But we're going to be we build we're building our own um, organization, our own client 
um, relationships and our own um, way of doing business, company culture, um, uh, hiring practices, all of that stuff. Uh, any challenges that you have seen now as um, more of independent versus when you guys were over there? Or it's more or less a similar um, problems and, and solutions that you guys are coming with? So our independence or our our um, liberation, I, we were not under some kind of uh, you know, right, right. No, I, I understand. <laughs> um, it, it coincides uh, almost one to one with the pandemic, and so right. our business has changed. But it was it was going to change anyway. Um, we had started working remotely and being a much more kind of a distributed organization, trying to reduce our overhead and 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 all of those things that you have to do when you're a startup. Um, at the same time, everyone went home. Everyone's working from a, a you know, a, a home office or a living room or what have you. Um, and so for us, I, I find it hard to distinguish what would have been different um, had we just been independent, but outside of Semi and Sunny without the pandemic. I'll let you know in six months. We'll do part two and, and we'll see about that. <laughs> so one of the things that I find really interesting about, about you guys and the work that you're doing is this balance between uh, thinking like a performance marker and media optimization with also the, the strategy and the creative of a, of a different type of agency, right? So how do you balance this part science, part art that you guys are working with and, and how hard is that? So for Sunday, you know, I come to this, I come to this honestly, I come to it from a, an interest in making great digital content, whether that's video or still or audio. Um, and that's always been something where I have a lot of experience. I've never really in my career, um, working with a lot of entertainment brands, a lot of packaged goods brands, um, a lot of telecom brands. I've never had the ability to really say, I know exactly how this is working. Right. So I would say that we have, we have really been leaning into the ability to take our pedigree in great content and apply data and results, uh, particularly knowing how powerful the, social platforms are driving audiences to take specific actions. So we apply editorial principles, we apply client management principles, and those are all things that a lot of people have where we, I think, are special yeah. and where I think we, we are over-indexing now is, is just trying to make sure that we're solving short, midterm, and long-term problems for clients, particularly when they, they give us a dollar and we can tell them that that delivered $2 or $4. So a, a couple follow-up questions from that. I'm a... I started as a writer myself, and I'm a writer at heart, which is an artist. Even artists are broke, and I wanted to be a business owner. But uh, there was a lot of creative part when I was an artist, right? Uh, do you ever think that this performance marketing holds creative, creativity back from your people, or is just focusing it on, on the right channels and the right ways? So our creative team are really the influencers, right? We, we right. identify them for each project. We're, we're really precise about who we want to work with. Um, and we're looking to inspire them and to be inspired by them. Um, we don't often show them the performance pieces of the business because what we want from them is the stuff that turns their audiences on so that then we can deploy it to audiences who don't even know about them. This is what the, the magic is. Um, for creativity, I think that there's creativity in, in, in solving problems with paid media and performance social. I think that that for me is super exciting and, and inspiring. And I think that the team that is on the day-to-day -day business, not necessarily the influencers because they're not staff, right. it's the talent team, the media team, um, the client management team, and the executive team. We are 
turned on creatively by our ability to use content to drive results. I love that. So talking a bit more about the influencer side, obviously they need to have a great audience that is engaged. Uh, but if you were like to talk to an influencer, say, what are the things that you can do? I'm an athlete, so it would be like off the court, right? So for them, what's the off the court things that you don't see on their content, but helps you build a relationship with them and says, let's work with this influencer versus another who might have equally good content or equally good audience. So the audience for us is less important. We're going we're gonna to buy that audience, right? Okay. What we want is we want someone who we know based on whatever the creative platform is, can create a premium asset or group of assets for us. Do they know what good lighting is? Can they speak uh, into a microphone that, so that we can understand them? Those kinds of things where they can shoot it, um, particularly during a pandemic where there aren't a lot of videographer friends around who you can go and capture with. Um, uh, for us, it, 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 what really matters is the ability to, to be a, a, like a creative director. We're looking mm -hmm. for people who take instruction but can, can push back when something doesn't match up with their idea of who they're, what kind of content they want to create. What, what we're really hiring them for is, is their, their personal aesthetic and their, personal, uh, and their personality. Um, and so I would think that we aren't so particular about the things that we don't know about because we're going to coach them up. If they show that they can operate a camera, work with natural or artificial light and, and tell good stories, we're, we're going to have a pretty good relationship. I love that. And I guess it's a challenge, right? Because you guys are producing co your influencer content producing remotely. So like, how has that changed, like that relationship? Are you guys coaching them on like how to do it remotely versus having a, a videographer that's creating the content? How, how has it changed for you guys, um, this remote content producing? So it's a case by case, client by client basis. But our, our general approach here is we're not, we're not recruiting influencers to appear in television commercials and to go on shoots with, you know, Spike Jones. Right. Um, you know, what we're doing is we're allowing them to be in their elements, to be comfortable, to tell stories that reflect their personal lifestyle, whatever it might be. So to be honest, I find that where we are now, we have a lot more influencers answering the phone for us. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, I'm into that. But also we have an advantage over a lot of lot more studio type content producers, digital content producers and or commercial um, uh, operations because we are producing at least as good a content as we were before and we're getting better at it every day. Um, our ability to, to brief in a strategic idea to an influencer now, we, have, we tend to have more time. Um, days are getting longer. Right. Uh, people are home and, and willing to put in a little more effort on it because now a lot of clients are working with influencers over the long term. Right? So we set up a portfolio of, of strategy and influencers get to constantly be making content for the same brand over and over again. They get better at it and their content improves um, from a performance perspective and an aesthetic perspective. Makes sense. And I do think there's a big opportunity for brands that usually would have content produced in a studio, which is shut down right now, of how can we produce that remotely through influencers, right? Because um, it, it's an avenue that it was probably more untapped before, and now it's just like the, the only option to create content, basically. If you want fresh content, there's a, an easy solution, right? Because um, a lot of brands had relied on agencies and studios and, and, and expensive shoots. You know, it, it's tended to be, 
we'll definitely do the studio stuff and right. we'll try and do the influencer stuff for a lot of brands. Yeah. Now, a lot of brands are just like, oh, you mean I can get this content? And one of the things that we always do for our clients is we license the influencer content so that they can deploy it in, on their social channels, mm-hmm. uh, on their website, in emails, across the digital landscape, so that they've got this, you know, a, a catalog of, of working content that continues to come in and, and its cost continues to decrease because they, they um, have already invested. It's already done its job. Right. Uh, t- tell me about TikTok. Do, do you think it can be a performance marketing platform or how has that, um, have you guys implemented it at all on your, on your strategy? Uh, or, and where do you see, the, I know that I'm asking a lot of questions, but that's where yeah. do you see the evolution of the platform? Because it, it's just such a new thing coming up there's you know listen there's a lot of speculation about how how good tiktok's going to be mm-hmm. um, um they have ad pro- really powerful ad products in beta that they're making available to some brands and some agencies um the, whether we see that come to fruition the way we have for instagram is to be determined right. but there's no question that there's a the the positive and and welcoming nature of TikTok mm-hmm. is very attractive to brand clients, right? right. It's, uh, you know, you go onto Twitter and it's a, it's a hellscape, um, yeah. <laughs> right? It's fun and it's engaging and a lot of brands need to be there. Um, but TikTok, I think, is going to be a very interesting platform for, um, if they can figure out their targeting without ruining the, the, the user experience, which is, yeah. you know, LinkedIn's trying to figure it out, Snap is trying to figure it out, Facebook's got it. Hmm. YouTube, YouTube doesn't need it. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's all about targeting and and being able to you know drive specific outcomes in digital. It's that's where the fun is. That's where the money is. Is is top of mind for for clients coming up? Is it like something that they um, come to you guys and and say we've been thinking about TikTok, or is that something that you have to educate them on um, as a new platform? I'm trying to think about when we've recommended it in the last six to eight weeks. Um, yeah. We, I mean, clients are very aware of TikTok. Right. You know, um, our kids are on it. You know, we see a lot of content coming up in popular culture. We all read Taylor Lorenz and her articles in the Times. And um, there's just no question that it's, it's right there on the cusp. And if they play their cards right, particularly from a UX perspective and, a, and a, an ad platform perspective, I think they're going to get there'll be a player on the, uh, in this for a long time because they've managed the community really well. And that's an aspect of being an, a brand in a community that you don't want to be intrusive. You want to be, uh, uh, you want to talk naturally. You want to be like, you belong there. And, and for a long time, Facebook kind of ruined their, uh, the Instagram experience once they, until they changed the algorithm. So that right. brands could no longer just pollute the, the feed. Uh, and last question on TikTok. Um, yeah. Do you think it's just a D2C player right now? Or, or how about B2B in the future, right? Because I'm a lot in B2B. Uh, so yeah. it's something that I, it's on my mind, right? Is there a way to utilize it in B2B right now? Or maybe we have to wait a little bit longer? Where do you see it going? So that's an interesting question. I don't, I don't know. It's B2B marketing. You know, we talked about this. I do a bit of it too. I mean, you have to, as a, as a, as a services provider to, to brands, you have to be in the B2B marketing game as well as the B2C marketing business um i just don't think that that would be my first stop it's right. not my first stop i mean certainly you want to have a presence there you want to be able to just show that you you know you've opened up your account and stuff but 
um, I would be pouring dollars. If I'm a B2B market, market, I'm pouring my dollars into Twitter, LinkedIn, and I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm making my Instagram presence more robust without over exposing audiences too, because you can't target uh, B2B audiences. Yeah, that's why I had in mind as well. So it, it's funny that we, that we were aligned there. Uh, in terms of like influencer marketing, and just a few more questions before we wrap this up. I was, I was researching the industry before our, our episode, and I was reading that it's growing between 1.5 and 2.2x every year, right? So uh, my question to you is like, do you think that influencer marketing is still in the early stages of adoption for brands? Uh, or, and how will it mat- mature over the next decade, right? Because I think it has a long way to go. So, so at what stage do we have influencer marketing right now? So we're like in, um, um, we're in our late, late teens here. Okay. Um, so we're, we're starting to take on some responsibility for our own behavior, but our parents still pay for our health insurance. That kind right. Of thing. Um, I, I think that in 10 years, we're going to look back on the early days of influencer marketing, not, not four years ago, but this last couple years as, as transformative to digital marketing, transformative to how brands communicate with customers, transformative to how digital content is created. Um, you know, our business, Sunday, mm-hmm. is a, a content studio, it's a performance shop, and it's a social media calendaring uh, um, solution for social clients that don't wanna pay a social agency to make content that no one cares about from them. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that we do that's really powerful um, and, it, and it, it, it makes up the bulk of our business is whitelisting uh, influencer accounts so we can deploy their content to new audiences and paid social. And that has been a game changer for our clients and for, for our business. Right. So it's interesting how we, we think that influencer marketing is going to grow, right? So, so what are the things that are we doing right now that they're not going to play out or, or work? in four or five years? Like what, what are the bad behaviors that brands are doing right now that in a few years, they're gonna be like, what were we doing? So, okay, so we went from using massive celebrity influencers, you know, mm-hmm. um, K level, Kardashian level, yeah. right? Paying them huge, huge dollars fees to reach their audiences, right? And even though, you know, 60 or 70% of their audiences were either bots or people who never went on those platforms. Yeah. Then we got into um, stacking, micros and nanos so mid-sized and smaller influencers but using only organic reach mm-hmm. the future of the present future of influencer marketing is finding great content creators who have authentic channels no matter their size you pay more for bigger followers but bigger followers have earned that money they've built audiences but if you can find influencers who have not yet had the um haven't been in market long enough to right. build that, but you know they're going to. You can. There's a real marketing efficiency there. You can get a really great deal on hiring them to work for for your brand. So with um, what's going to happen, I think, is we'll have smaller groups, more prestigious pods of influencers creating content um, that looks very commercial. Mm-hmm. That will only be deployed to paid audiences. It won't even go to the channels. It won't even go to the followers of that influencer. I think that once brands start understanding how much better that works for them, it also gives them a brand firewall. So they don't have to be so, you know, we're polishing pixels here. You know, I have my Harvard MBA, but yet I spend 40% of my time, you know, looking at Facebook posts or Instagram posts. Um, It's just uh, that there's a better way to do this because it comes from the influencer in partnership with the brand. And 
it it works three to five times better than what brands are doing in social. That's that's pretty much our business. And, and does it run on the influencer profile or on the company account or, or both? Through the influencer's profile, right? Okay. So we wait and we get permission from the influencer through Facebook. Uh, we ask for their permission. And then we deploy that content through their profile to Instagram, Facebook audiences, to specific whatever whatever ad groups we've targeted, whether those are lookalikes that the brand gave us, whether we're trying to test against new audiences or whether we've got a new product or a passion point. But, you know, the thing that Facebook does best is is, targeting, right. is delivering content to their audiences and driving specific actions. So when you do that through the influencer's account, it just arrives in a more credible and um, action-oriented uh, uh, position. And, and our, the audiences that we deliver to are clicking more, they're watching longer, they're having better engagements, they remember the brand. Even on brand list studies, we're outperforming what the brands are doing. In right. And last question in this, because maybe out of personal interest and curiosity, who runs the, the ad campaign? Like, the, 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 does the influencer give you access to you as an agency or the company if they're doing directly to run their ad money from there and the ad spend? Or do, so do we, we, we handle all the media planning and buying. Okay. Talent, um, recruitment, briefing, whitelisting, right. and deployment, trafficking. And then, of course, all of the, the, um, the analytics and the optimization, the editorial, because we cut up. We also take those assets and we cut them into more commercial uh, performers so we take a hello youtube it's me and we, we make that into like a 30 second that you know we chop it up and we make it work hard still the influencers post it still feels like i mean that's part of our contract it's part of us being respectful of their um original creation but we just make it into something that works harder for the brand awesome uh and last question in terms of influencer marketing mm -hmm. so you guys i heard do a lot of work in terms of like optimization and, and tracking and being performance oriented. What are the usual key metrics that you guys keep an eye on or does it depend on, on the campaign or the client? But like what are the three to four key metrics that you're usually like taking a look at? So we, you know, there, there are the, 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 I guess the, the four, the four horsemen we've got, you know, we started the, what we start at the bottom is the CPA or the CAC, right? The CAC, mm -hmm. how much does it cost? Well, how many, how much does it cost for us to drive a specific conversion? Right. Then we do a lot of CPI campaigns. We do a lot of install, cost per install campaigns. Right. Um, we do CPC campaigns, cost per click, and then we do CPM campaigns. Um, and across the board, our cost of entry, our inventory pricing is lower because audiences are respond to, the algorithm and audiences respond more favorably to whitelisted influencer content than they do to brand social content. Makes sense. Uh, and last question, we have a couple of last minutes. Sure. Uh, outside of influencer marketing, how are you personally, Jeremiah, dealing uh, with uh, the COVID situation as a CEO, as a leader? Uh, what's changed for you personally or what's helping you handle this situation the best that you can? Booze. No. Just <laughs> well, I mean, so I'm fortunate to be... Uh, uh, be in the Hudson Valley, you know, I live in New York City, but we're in the Hudson Valley. Um, so I'm fortunate to have a place to walk around and, and collect myself. Mm -hmm. um, and and as, a, as a leader of organization, you kind of have to think through the day because I have employees in California and in the South. Um, and as we think about, you know, everyone getting up at different times and having a, having ha having a different COVID-19 experience, right. we want to make sure everyone's feeling themselves and taking time for their own, their own mental health. And it's, let's, 
you know what, let's take Friday off. I know it doesn't feel like a day off, but let's close the screens and, and walk away. And so I have been encouraging that among not just staff, but also with the clients. Clients should know that, hey, we're not just like sitting around 24 seven, you know, it's in front of a screen, it's, it's unhealthy. Um, and right. I think that we already have enough of this nasty unhealthiness around us that we can try and create environments where um, we look after our own mental health. I love that. I think that's a perfect way to end it. Uh, Jeremiah, thank you so much for spending time and being here. Uh, I always love talking to you. Uh, we're going to put your LinkedIn profile, your company website in the description for the listeners. Anything else that you think we should add or just to work? Oh, that seems like more than enough. That seems like enough? Okay, awesome. And thank you. Thank you. It was great talking with you. Absolutely. And if you're listening, feel free to subscribe and share or don't, whatever you want. And we'll see you next episode.